Welcome to Irish Exit Everything. My name is Frank, and it's wild how a week can feel like a month, a month can feel like a year, and one day can change the world. <laughs> and I wish I could say that's just a cliche, but in this case, it's true. You know, if you keep yourself even just a little bit informed, you know it's been a wild week, week and a half. And I just need to say right off the bat that I stand in solidarity with the people of Ukraine. You know, for the past few months, the world has been playing this guessing game with Putin, like, oh, will he or won't he invade Ukraine again? Uh, and then he did. Uh, he ordered the invasion on February 24th. And since then, there's been a battle at Chernobyl. Russia has taken control of Europe's largest nuclear power plant. There was a real temporary ceasefire that lasted a few hours. And uh, as of the day of this recording, anyway, uh, which is March 6th, uh, well, there's been conflicting reports uh, about the death toll, uh, but the UN has verified about 300 civilians have died and over a million people have fled the country, which is horrible. You know, the death and displacement of folks anywhere is horrible, whether it's in Ukraine or Afghanistan or Palestine. You know, war only stands to benefit people in power while everyone else suffers. But working class people have power in saying no. We're not going to fight your war, which is difficult to do as an individual. I understand that's kind of a big ask, but that's why there needs to be a collective anti-war movement in Russia and Ukraine everywhere. But anyway, I won't be talking about just the war in Ukraine, but I will talk about the implications a little bit later. So, yeah, I mentioned that it, it was a busy week. Um, it's actually wild how everything is so connected. Um, not on a spiritual level, but also on February 24th, uh, I attended the USDA's 98th annual Agricultural Outlook Forum. Um, fans of the show may remember that I attended this last year um, and gave a, a riveting recap. And the crazy parallel between these two forums is that they both took place like right after a crisis. Um, last year, it was right after the, the big winter storm hit Texas and left millions of people without power for a while. Um, so the forum speakers were like, you know, thoughts and prayers to the people of Texas. Um, and in this forum, uh, it was quite literally hours after the Russian invasion started. And while the speakers couldn't speak on that too much because it was like a brand new development, um, they made it clear that this was gonna have implications on agriculture and world trade. Um, more on that in a minute. But unlike last year's forum, um, which was focusing on the setbacks of the pandemic, uh, this forum was really pushing a positive outlook, even though the rising cost of everything and the climate crisis you know, paints a very different picture. The Deputy Secretary of Agriculture made some opening remarks, and she said, the agricultural industry remains as strong and resilient as ever. This is evident given the 2021 export numbers that reached a record high of $183.5 billion. And on the surface, that seems good, right? But I just have so much issue with that framing because it's just so typical of our capitalist system to focus on the big numbers, right? The profits and hide the human labor that made those numbers possible. Over 955,000 Americans have died from COVID since February, 2020. We've had more COVID deaths than any other country by far. 
over 440,000 deaths um, in 2021 alone. But hey, at least we made $183 billion in exports. Exports. This is stuff going to other countries, one of which is China, who we're supposed to hate or whatever. We actually export a lot of corn and soybeans to them. You know, I try to find uh, COVID numbers on specific industries because, as we know, lots of working people were deemed as essential um, and therefore put at risk. Uh, it's actually hard to find those numbers. It's almost like the government and our employers didn't want to track how many of us died because we had to go to work. Hmm. Interesting. But I was able to find some numbers on farmers and farm workers. Uh, this is between March 2020 and March 2021, so not the entirety of 2021. Um, but among agricultural producers, hired and unpaid agricultural workers, and migrant agricultural workers, there were over 720,000 cases of COVID and over 13,000 deaths, uh, again, between March 2020 and March 2021. Um, 13,000 deaths. And there's likely been a lot more since then. Let's be honest. Employers don't give a shit about their employees, especially if they're non-white and non-citizens of the U.S. But those workers that were deemed essential probably weren't essential enough to be given proper safety protocols, PPEs to protect themselves from infection. And they weren't able to choose for themselves whether they should go to work or not, because how are they going to pay the bills if they don't go to work? The $1,400 STEMI check? Good luck with that. So the export numbers didn't reach a record number because the industry is strong. This abstract concept of the industry isn't resilient just out of thin air, right? It's because working class people were put at risk and they paid for those exports with their lives. What's even more fucked up is the workers aren't even benefiting from those record numbers because they're paying for record high inflation. The USDA was very open about that. While exports are good, farm income is expected to drop this year because production costs are increasing. Fuel, fertilizers, feed. How does that happen? If we had record exports, how is farm income taking a hit? How are the folks producing the products that we're exporting not profiting more? That's sus. You know what's ironic? I think it was the deputy secretary again who said that the USDA is the people's department. If that were true, then why are direct government payments to farmers expected to decline this year? which is actually lower than pre-pandemic assistance. So is it really back to normal or is it much, much worse? So in summary, the USDA's outlook for this year is, hey, thanks for the exports. You're essential, we love you, but you've got enough support from us already. So good luck paying to produce the stuff that you're exporting and can't even pay for yourself in the grocery store. Inflation sucks, doesn't it? That was literally what Biden said in, in a State of the Union address last week when talking about inflation. He's like, I get it. Oh, y'all are struggling to pay for shit? Listen, I get it. Do you, Joe? And then he praised himself for something he did a year ago, signing the American Rescue Plan, which gave families just a little bit of economic relief, just a little bit of breathing room, but not too much. We don't want folks to get too comfortable. But at this point, the American Rescue Plan is ancient history. Like we're definitely not benefiting from that anymore. So what's Biden's plan to help us out now? How is he going to fight inflation? Well, as everybody knows, inflation is from labor shortages and supply chain disruptions. It couldn't possibly be price gouging. It couldn't be corporate greed, right? Let's think about the, the supply chain for a second. 
Something that was said at the USDA forum was logistics is crucial to our existence. Again, ignoring the fact that it's actually from working people and logistics that are crucial. All workers are crucial. If disruptions in logistics in the supply chain is what's driving up inflation and making us all suffer, then why did shipping companies rake in $150 billion last year? Did y'all know that ocean freight is controlled by big three alliances? It's a cute little loophole. They're not monopolies, they're alliances. Uh, but yeah, when everyone started buying more shit because we were stuck inside, um, you know, the supply chain was overwhelmed. Uh, couldn't handle the, the high demand, didn't have enough supplies, so prices went up. And while it's true that we saw a lot of congestion at ports and stuff, you know, these ocean freight alliances decided that because they had to pay more for fuel, because they were shipping a lot of stuff and waiting at the ports, that they needed to increase their shipping rates by a lot. I think a lot of people would be like, yeah, that makes sense. But does it though? They could just not increase their rates, take less of a profit. Crazy concept, I know. And you might be wondering, well, why would they do that? Because people need those products. Why should a family who needs bread for the week pay five times more just because a shipping company who just takes it from one place to the other wants to make a profit, especially if that family's household income isn't going up. And this is literally happening. Like, let's bring it back to the Ukraine conflict for a moment. Ukraine and Russia export a quarter of the world's wheat supply. There's going to be a supply shortage there. And Russia is one of the largest exporters of oil and natural gas. Oil is obviously important for energy, currently anyway. And natural gas is important for fertilizers, if you didn't know. A major source of Putin's power comes from Europe's dependence on Russia's fossil fuels. So as long as Europe relies on importing energy from Russia, they can't really do much against Putin beyond symbolic sanctions, which really only hurt the working class. Like as we see the value of the ruble drop, it's even harder for regular civilians, not the oligarchs, to pay for groceries. So there's a push in the U.S. to ban imports of Russian oil, which is based. Like this is a golden opportunity under horrible circumstances to focus on a switch to renewable energy sources. That would be the solution, right? Of course not. There's a bipartisan group of senators who want to use this opportunity to ramp up oil extraction here in the U.S., which would mean more drilling, more pipelines. And I just can't facepalm hard enough. Like, yeah, it sucks paying $4 or more for a gallon of gas, but did we forget about climate change? Did we forget about how drilling and pipelines ruin environments, particularly on reservations, on native land, which is technically the whole country? And let's not forget the oil barons would immensely profit the most from this. And that's what happens in capitalism when individuals can own natural resources. So what did Biden have to say about all this in his State of the Union address, uh, where he proudly declared himself a capitalist uh, and said that capitalism without competition is exploitation, uh, which is just misleading. Capitalism is exploitation. Um, even with competition, um, you know, uh, capitalism will always lead to things like alliances, um, because with the never-ending drive for profit, like you'll absorb the competition so you can make more profits for yourself. That just happens all the time in capitalism. Capitalists just be saying shit. 
if you didn't tune into his address on March 1st, you really missed out because, you know, he was truly pulling in all the American patriotic heartstrings. Uh, so I just want to end this episode uh, with some of my favorite platitudes that he served up that night. Freedom will always triumph over tyranny. Okay. We're the only country who has turned the crises we face into opportunities, which is like, really, the only country ever? Let's stop seeing each other as enemies. Let's start seeing each other for who we are, fellow Americans. And he ended it with, the United States is strong because you, the American people, are strong, which I would actually agree with. Uh, Working class people are strong. Working class people have power. We're stronger together and we deserve more power. We deserve peace. We don't deserve platitudes and empty promises. Thanks for listening. Let's get this bread.